it's good just to like give yourself at least a couple of laps where you're just going way outside anything that feels like that feels acceptable with your stroke and just sort of see what happens with it because i mean i know personally like i'm very yeah it's i i I always want to go back to what i'm used to so you've really got to kind of be comfortable getting uncomfortable with um with those sorts of changes welcome to the effortless swimming podcast the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water become a better swimmer and live a better life here's your host brenton ford Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. And my guest today is professional triathlete, Simon Hearn. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brent. Thanks for having me on. Well, we've been friends for, and I was just trying to think about, I'm thinking maybe 2012, but I don't even know if that's that's right. Um, yeah, it'd be something like that, I guess. Introduced from other friends, wasn't it? Yeah. Where do we meet? So, yeah, so introduced through, through, um, through other friends other friends and sort of met through that triathlon scene and um since then or then you were sort of just doing um triathlons it's something that you kind of just started out doing um and in the last what is it maybe uh two years or so um have turned pro and um and really just starting to make your way up in the in the ranks and so i wanted to get you on the podcast to um to talk about that journey and also to talk about your journey with your swimming because i think that's something um, that I've obviously watched along the way and um, and have seen what you've done to really become a, a front pack swimmer from not necessarily having a, a swimming background as a as a kid. So uh, I think that's a that'd be a good thing to talk about and uh, explore what you've done to um, to get to that stage. So for um, your triathlon journey, when did you start doing triathlon? Yeah, so I I did a, my first triathlon with you know borrowed wetsuits and my little road bike and stuff back at the end of year 10 so I must have been probably 16 or 17 years of age and then I enjoyed it and it was one of those things I finished and I, I'd, I'd been riding my bike a bit and running I hadn't done a whole lot of swimming um, but I finished it and I was like oh that was fun like I feel like I could almost do it again like I actually didn't push myself too hard because it was my first one and I wanted to just just finish um, and then and then I focused, I really just wanted to focus on school because I, I knew I wanted to be a, a physiotherapist and I knew that was going to be hard to get into. So I just ran um, through year 11 and year 12. Um, and then and then first year uni, I had more time. Um, and I, um, I do athlon, I think, back in, in Melbourne, one of the duathlon races um, through at the time, well, it's now Hall Tri Club, but it was Extreme Tri Club at the time. I did one of their like, introductory courses to learn a little bit more about transition and all that kind of stuff um did a duathlon and really enjoyed it and um then i thought wow if i'm going to compete with these guys a little bit at the front of the race eventually probably going to need to get a time trial bike um and then i got a time trial bike so this would have been oh i think probably 20 2012 like you said probably is when i was really starting to to get into it um and then yeah i just I just got into training and enjoyed the training and kind of had a few age group triathlon coaches along the way um, and then started taking a lot more seriously probably four, three or four years ago. Um, and I was, a, I was a little bit lost. Um, I, I wanted to – I was kind of winning my age group um, and thought maybe racing professionally was kind of the next step um, for me. 
And, um, and then I found through some Googling and stuff, I found my now coach um, and has been my coach for the next last few years, David Tilbury Davis. Um, and he's currently advising guys like Lionel Sanders and he's just recently started with Bart Arnott and David McNamee and my training buddy on the Sunshine Coast here, Lockie Kieran. Um, and, and the reason why I contacted David was I knew he was someone who um, knew what it took to race at the, the professional level. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to go into the professional ranks if I was going to be just racing on my own. Um, and that comes back to what you said is it's a big thing in the swim. I didn't want to be coming out of the water on my own um, and then essentially doing an age group individual time trial but racing in the professional field. I wanted to make sure ready. Um, and so David and I um, started working together just before Cairns, I think it would have been 2018, which was um, one of my last age group races. Um, and then I did Sunshine Co. 2.3 and that was my last age group race. And then I, I started doing some open races up here in Queensland. Um, and then my first professional race really probably would have been Sunshine Co. 70.3 in um, 2019. And I managed to get third. I think Braden Curry won that day and Steve McKenna got second. Um, and I think by that time, I'd, I, was, I was very nervous being my first true professional race at an Ironman. Um, um, but, but I think David instilled a bit of confidence in me um, and I'd done a few of those open races. So I knew I had a rough idea of what the level would be and I knew that I'd gotten my swim to a level where I, I would probably be in a pack out of the water, which was my main goal. I wanted to be in the race. So, and- yeah, that's fine. And so you had some, um, when you turned pro, was there any sort of feeling of that imposter syndrome where it's like, oh, I don't know if I should be here? Or is that something that, you know, you, you made the decision to become a pro because you felt like you belong there? I know, um, definitely, definitely had that imposter syndrome. One of my first races was um, um, in Huskisson. Uh, t- two years ago now it would have been and and um, Craig Alexander won that day and even Joe Skipper from the UK he was training in Noosa at the time and he came down to Husky to do the race and there's definitely that sense of imposter syndrome where I was like oh you know there was excitement for sure because um, um, because I was you know achieving all of mine to race at that level but there's also that sense of like oh I don't know if I'm ready for this and um, and I think coming from where I did in, in age group triathlon, I've always slowly progressed. Like you know, I started off in the, the middle of my age group somewhere and slowly worked my way towards winning my age group and then, you know, um, competing in some open races and then trying to win open races. And I, I think the same thing with the professional field is that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to, you know, get, get myself somewhere in the middle, be in the race, learn what that's all about and work my way from there. And, um, I mean, yeah, there was definitely that sense of imposter syndrome because you look, you know, I looked up those guys, the other guys that, you know, I've got Crowey's book and looking at what training sessions he was doing and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that ever, that uh, you'd be you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't feel, feel that coming, especially coming into uh, the professional level um yeah no matter what sport you're in i think everyone's going to have a sense of it and whether it be 
with work with work or um and i had that when i started coaching too it's like who is why who am i to give any advice like why would someone listen to me and i still yeah i still feel a little bit of that that today it's that it, it doesn't really ever leave you know i think unless you're someone like uh, michael phelps who's he got a lot of gold uh, olympic medals to his his name it's like i think a lot of people tend to um to have it and it's just part of the uh, the human condition and when you got uh, your most recent event in Cairns where you placed um, fourth there for your that's your best result as a full distance I man has that instilled a bit more confidence in in what you can do yeah I think I think this year um, a few of my results and my um, progression in the professional field has given me um, more confidence and a better sense that um, you know I'm I'm doing the right things and I'm progressing the way I want to, I want to be progressing. Um, so yeah, cans definitely, cans definitely helped with that. And a few races um, at Husky, the national long course champs, that was another good race. Um, and even, even races like um, hell of the West against guys like Tim Reed and Steve McKenna, who, you know, the top Australian guys, um, you know, rubbing shoulders with them a bit and, 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 um, just having races like that where I don't feel completely out of my depth um, has definitely given me a lot more confidence moving forward, yeah. Mm. And what about your, let's talk about your swimming. So what was your background as a, say, junior or teenager in, in swimming in the pool? Uh, because I don't think I've ever sort of heard what that, <laughs> what that was. Yeah, I don't think we've ever talked about this. Um, no, I, was, I wasn't a good... Um, I wasn't a really good athlete in any sense as a kid. I wasn't bad I, I, and I always enjoyed sport. Um, and, you know, I remember going to going to swimming at, you know, 6 a.m. to school with my dad a few times a week um, because I had seen I wanted to try and make the swim team, but I made a swim team. Um, but I enjoyed training and um, probably – you know, maybe if I was in a swim squad as a kid, maybe I would have done a little bit, but I was just swimming a few laps with dad before school, you know, so it wasn't really shit or anything like that. So I did a bit of that and I, I could I could swim okay, but so nowhere near I, you know, I swim swim squad now and I see these kids and they're incredible. Um, but I didn't have a big background in it at all. And then um, I picked it up again um, probably um really when I started trying a bit more seriously like first year uni when I had a bit more time and obviously I, I knew how to swim freestyle and everything um but I, I'd have I didn't have any kind of anything to go off and I remember being things like just trying to hit just trying to slowly work my way towards swimming 130 for 100 in a 25 meter pool so I definitely started from you know a reasonably low-level swimmer without heaps of experience and then gradually worked my way towards getting faster and fitter. And a big thing of that, um, to be honest with you, was working with you um, and constantly annoying you and sending you videos and saying, you know, <laughs> what, what, what I got to work on next, Brent? What's, what's my next step? So, yeah. Well, it's, and I was thinking back to the very first video that um... – I don't know if I took it or or, or um, Hannah uh, took it, but um, yeah, just sort of thinking of your, your stroke then, and and I mean, it's really just been a, a matter of refining kind of what you were doing to make it a bit more efficient, and 
um, and, and effective. And now I think you, like you've got a, a really nice um, looking stroke, especially not having come from that swimming background. And it's obviously working for you because, I mean, what, what, what did you do at Cairns? What was your swim time at Cairns? Um, so I was in like the front group in, in Cairns, the main group. Um, so I think there was Josh Amberger and Max Newman out of the water ahead of the main group. I think they did um, 46 minutes, something like that. And then, <coughs> excuse me, um, our main group swam 47, 48 minutes, something like that. Um, yeah, and I, was, I, was, I got stuck at the first can a little bit. Um, behind a few guys to work my way up so the, the start of the swim for me was quite quite difficult um, but I worked my way back onto Phillips's feet and and that's something that um, I do train a lot of is having the ability to kind of surge at a faster pace and then recover a solid aerobic pace um, which you definitely need for um, professional triathlon thing, um, because you know, guys can sometimes accelerate around cans or, um, for example, in the in the cans on um, swim, on the second lap of the swim, we hit um, all the age group swimmers. And there was a distinct time Mike lost Tim Reed's feet um, and he had to surge through the middle of kind of age groupers to get back onto the group. So I'd be ready to kind of to surge with him and, and stay on his feet to then get back onto the group. So yeah, it's um, it's been it's been a process, and I think the regular feel and feedback that I've gotten from you has just been a way for me to go. Okay, for the next few months, this is what I'm working, um, as well as you know training and getting fitter. But when I'm training in the water, being conscious of okay, what's you know, for example, last time we caught up was really my arm just not catching as much water as my left, um, and and needing to dive that hand um, deeper so that I can actually get that elbow up higher and, and get a good pull and catch. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think it's like those two things go together, um, the technical side of it. And you obviously you're putting the work in, in the pool, which is, um, which you really need to, um, to do, especially at the level that you're competing at. And how, how do you train the, those surges that you need to have? What, what sort of stuff you're doing in training to a layer to surge and then bring that heart rate back down. I think um, uh, um, it's it's common of things. Like I swim um, with the Mountain Creek Swim Squad here three days a week, and we swim most of the time an hour forty five two hours. So it's it's a, it's a fairly big session, and and we'll do quite often we'll do like descending. So you're you're slowly building into the set. So you might do you know or four 400s, three or four 300s, 200s, 100s, and then you're you're trying to descend each one. So by the time you finish that 400 quite hard, you've then got to go back to a 300 and try and keep it a fairly solid aerobic pace. That. And then my coach, David, gives, us, um, gives me sessions to do, um, like one specific one that we'll often do before races is um, a 1,800, 600, 400, 200. And out of the thousand is um, the first 250 meters is hard um, race start, and then the, the 800 is 200, 600 is 150, and then you're and then you're coming back off that race pace into a like a really high high end aerobic pace, um, just like the start of a race is, and then um, and then recovering in between the 1,000 and 8 for a minute, 
So you're still slowly building up lactate, but then you're learning to still hit a fast pace and come back and recover, which I think, and, and it doesn't happen straight away. When I first started doing that with David, it, it would kill me. Um, and then slowly as we've kind of worked together over the last three years, it's gotten better and better and my paces have gotten faster and I'm able to hold a much higher, higher pace for that, for that effort. And do you find now that you've got a pretty good sense of what you what time you're going to do when you come in on the wall have you got a pretty good gauge of that yeah definitely definitely a lot better than i used to um i'd say for sure and and i think that probably comes with being able to dial in that perceived effort as well um and i notice when i get fitter i can keep you know i can keep the same perceived effort but swim you know two or three seconds per 100 fast than i did you know three or four months ago and is that what your uh, a lot of your sessions, <clears throat> pardon me, are based off? Is it um, would he would he write the sessions as um, you know, perceived effort, you know, seven out of ten, or is it more based off pace? Where is it normally fit for most of your sessions? Um, so with David's sessions, um, a lot of it is um, a prescribed pace. So, um, for example, the session that that Lockie Kieran and I did before and quite a bit was. Um, 4k broken up so we could break the 4k however we wanted but we had to hold um 160 per 100 or below um and then so slowly as i got fit i would try and do more longer repetitions um with less recovery um but david wanted us to finish um making sure that we'd finish the 4k at a pretty solid effort so so we would finish. We would always finish with some 100s or 50s off short recovery, and they might end up being a bit faster than 116 in the end as we got fitter and fitter. Um, whereas for swim squad, we just we just went back to. Um, I don't know if you, you're probably you'd be familiar with the A1, A2, A3, AT. So kind of like uh, A1 being like an easy aerobic pace, A2 being moderate, and A3 being a fairly solid aerobic pace, and then. AT like aerobic threshold, so we've just gone gone back to that model, but I'll, I'll always match that up with perceived effort um, as well, and it depends on how tired I am from the other training that I've been doing. Mm. And one of the things that I've found a lot of uh, swimmers that that I work with they've often been in triathlon or in swimming for only a couple of years, and they are surprised or they think that the gap should be a lot bigger between the different sort of effort levels. So often people say, Mm. oh, my max effort 100 is, let's say it's 130 and my aerobic level is 150, for example. And they want to bring that 150 down to 130. They're like, why isn't it closer to that 130? Well, it's like, you know, for me, like if I go an all out 100, I might be a little bit under 60 and under a minute from a push, but um, I could probably hold about 115s from a, um, you know, if I'm just sort of sitting at that aerobic threshold. So it's like, yeah, there's going to be a gap between those two effort levels. And it's really about developing those gears in between. And it's not much of a difference. Like if you look at the elite 5K or 10K swimmers, there's like a, a two second difference between like um, them sitting comfortably and then sort of really pushing it. Like it's very minor and um, having people be able to adjust their effort level um, for those different paces is a, is a real skill that takes time to, to develop. 
Yeah, uh, for sure. I think I think the the fitter I've gotten, probably the gap has gotten smaller and smaller. Um, like for example, probably three years ago, before I started with David, <clears throat> and it's probably reflected in my training. Like I, I'd probably tend to go towards more like if I'm swimming easy, I'm swimming really easy, and then if I'm swimming hard, I'm swimming like you know five one hundreds, like all out with a decent amount of rest. And then I think I think what's happened with swim squad and David's um, swims around that is um, I've done a lot more of that more um, high aerobic swimming and threshold type swimming, which has really brought in the kind of the zones a lot closer, which like kind of what you've said there, um, which I think is what you, what you need for our sports. Um, you're going to need to be able to go out quite hard, but then you need to kind of settle in at that higher end pace. Cause if you've only swum, you know, 110 pace and then your easy pace is at 130 and you can't hold a sustained pace in the middle there, you're probably not going to be able to swim a good, you know, 2K, 4K swim in a race. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it's all about uh, being able to sit at that pace for longer periods of time and, and like you're training the, the body to be able to, to do it. And uh, I had a girl, she came to a clinic, it's probably last year now, but um, she said her, her, um, her times, she'd taken off like there's 10 or 12 seconds per hundred, but she wasn't able to sustain it for more than like three of them. And so what I yeah, said right. to her was, all right, so just try and go for mate, like six seconds quicker than what you were when you first came to a clinic instead of 12 and just, you know, just train that effort level that you can sustain it at because while you might be, your top speed might be 12 seconds quicker, the you know, your aerobic threshold is not going to be 12 seconds. So just um, you've got to back it off a, a little bit. And so, um, I think those just sets where you're, you're repeating, repeating, repeating that same sort of uh, those times uh, is, is what you need. And then over time, that, that pace will eventually come down with the, uh, with the work. Yeah, for an, and, and I think it's, it's kind of surprising sometimes if you do that repetition work where, you, you know, for example, for you, if you're sitting at 115s and you're swimming 115s, 20 or 30 of them, off 120 or 125 for example so a very solid set um and then you know you do that for a couple of weeks or a couple of months of that similar type training you probably find your top end and your capacity to swim a 100 is quite good as well like you know a max effort because you've just been able to increase the economy and be able to increase your engine so which has kind of helped everything um as well so and uh, and it depends on obviously um sprinters in swimming and and in running for example they train quite differently to long distance um runners or swimmers so you have to it's specific to your sport and what events you've got and what's your goal what your goal is too yeah that's right i've actually been experimenting or playing around with the the form goggles recently so they um they sent me some of the the goggles and i've always been a bit uh, old school again against technology um, i'm not a fan of wearing a watch in in the pool because i kind of like to be in the moment and just use a stop clock to get my time but i've been using the form goggles for my longer swims the sprint ones i don't i don't like to wear them but for anything that's got a bit of distance in it i've i've really been enjoying it because it's pretty amazing to have that instant feedback of your split for each 50. You can see what your, your pace is and you can see what, what your pace is for the 
effort output now I or, or the effort level and I think I'd be able to I can judge that stuff well because I've swum for a long time and so I don't think I need the goggles to tell me what pace I'm going at but it's been really interesting to actually just see those small no those small changes in the times like uh you go for that first 50 and if I'm just sort of singing around um you know at an aerobic pace it's like 37 mid every single time then you pick it up that little bit 36 nine like it's it's really consistent so that feedback I think can be really good for someone who might not have their gears dialed in just yet and they're not Mm. sure of um the relationship between effort level and time so I'm actually a big fan of the um the form goggles and i never thought i'd uh, say that about a sort of piece of technology in the water but um they're actually um really really good have you tried them yeah, that, yeah i tried them um but it would be interesting um it would be interesting to try them and, and and it would be an interesting experiment say you know for me for example if i'm trying to work on that right hand catching and i could just swim to get that instant feedback, I could try and swim at 70%, not worrying too much about what my right hand's doing to swim. And I could do a hundred and see what I come in on and then and then try and work on the hand pulling and catching a lot better, like we talked about, and then get that instant feedback. So I think if you do it mm. for that specific purpose, that could be could be really interesting and try and match it up with the different cues that you've been given and try and work on that specifically. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good example of how how you could use them and often when i'm working with someone and we're not sure whether this might be the right change for their their stroke you know if we're like if we look at them and there's something that we should change but it's like well it it might it might improve you it might make you faster but it it might not because there's there's a range of what elite swimmers do and it's and we want to sort of experiment with that so that's kind of what i'll suggest them it's like in a set of say 10 100s do one with your current technique do your second hundred with that change and just see if there's a difference in, in time. And so with that instant feedback, I think that'd be a really good way to, um, way to do it. And your, um, so your background as a physio, has that changed or has that impacted on the way that you train on your recovery or avoiding getting injured? Like has that had an impact at all on where you're at? Um, so, so when I did my first physio, um, I worked in private practice, um, for a company in Melbourne and, and we, they were very focused on swimming, which was for me. So we would often go really early to the, to the pool, um, during specific times of the year and go and work with, these are elite swimmers. Um, and we would go and do like pre-screening for them. And, um, I think for me, it was good to see like we use specific tests and I think I've seen you use some of this stuff in in the effort swimming um videos where you're talking about um the abduction external rotation test you know bringing the arms up above head with the person on the table so we did a lot of that we did a lot of tests of like external rotation strength internal rotation strength thoracic rotation so I think having that background I'm I'm quite aware um if I'm getting tight or weak in a certain area so i do do fairly regular strength and conditioning stability work i don't do anything i've done periods of heavy lifting in the gym but i don't give that anymore um i think i'm just more at a point where um david and i work more on like core and stability things i can do at home like with a kettlebell and um so it, it doesn't make you super sore and tired so you can still hit your main triathlon training 
Um, but I think having that background has made me aware of the importance of mobility. But it was interesting working with the swimmers because you would often see, and I didn't, I wasn't super aware of how good they were, say, in their squad. But you could sometimes see this, it was like a range of swimmers and you could often see people who were really mobile but often end up getting injured because they didn't have enough stability. And mm. then you could see people who were more stable and stiff but didn't necessarily have the mobility they needed to, say, get a really good cat um, in their freestyle or, or whatever. Um, so I th- what we would prescribe for someone who is um, really mobile and not so stable was more um, stability work, obviously, and strengthening. Um, and they tend to be the people who prefer stretching because they're good at it. Um, yeah. And then, and then the you know the less mobile people, but, but kind of stronger people, um, more stable people, we would tend to describe more um, you know foam rolling and light stretching and that kind of thing. Um, so I'm, I'm aware, I'm highly aware of the importance of that for swimming. And I, uh, I, I don't implement a whole lot of stretching. I'll be honest. Um, but I do do a fair mobility and, uh, and, and a fair and quite a lot of stability work to try and stay strong, which is important, not just for swimming, but for running and biking as well. Um, and it's interesting though, cause I distinctly remember you saying once when you were training for your Ironman, did, um, Ironman New Zealand, wasn't it? And I yep. distinctly remember you saying that spend that time on the TT bike took off quite a bit of your swimming. Um, because the the kind of restrictions in mobility that it gave you through your pecs and your back thing from being in that kind of hunched over position. So I'm aware of that and I do try and stretch out my pecs and my thoracic spine a bit. But, um, yeah, it's hard when you're doing all the other training as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I just remember, and I, I've actually forgotten about that, so I'm glad you um, reminded me never to get back on a TT bike again. Um, but I've, I've kept to that since I'm man New Zealand. So, <laughs> it's, uh, it's been five years, but, um, yeah, no, I, I do. Yeah. I do recall, um, just like, it was probably from memory about two seconds, um, two to three seconds per hundred. It slowed me down until I got back on top of that mobility work and it didn't need to be yeah. a lot, but yeah, I just tend to be a bit more rounded. I didn't have that range above my head and, um, my recovery was getting, yeah, it was a little bit hard to get over the top of the water. And it's just from spending all that time in, in a hunched over position, which I wasn't, wasn't used to at all. I was just used to having swimmers flexibility and um, yeah. And so I had to, had to get back on top of it. So what does that mobility work and stability work look like for you? What does that involve? Um, so typically it can be anywhere from like 20 minutes to 45 minutes. Um, like for example, today after this recording, I've got like a core and kettlebell workout. I'll be doing like some kettlebell swings, some squats, some probably some lunges in there, um, as well as some just more stuff like on a on a mat, um, doing um, things an exercise ball, like planks and um, rollouts and things like that. So so yeah, just on stability, probably more than mobility. Um, but, um, so I try and do that probably anywhere from two to four days a week, depending on what kind of cycle of training and block we're in. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And I've found it doesn't take a whole lot 
of that kind of work to have it and to make a difference. It's um, and it's uh, it's often noticeable within the first like two or three weeks if you're going from doing nothing to at least a a little bit of it. And I found this over like COVID last year. I was doing maybe three strength sessions a a week from down from zero to to three a week because I was sort of taking a local swim club through some Zoom sessions and I was doing it with them. And then when I eventually got to get back in the water, I felt really good and I didn't lose that much fitness as a result because I maintained that strength. I didn't lose much um didn't lose much speed. I did lose the the fitness. It took me a while to get that back. But yeah, I think it's um it's really important, but it's uh easy for that to let that go by the wayside for those that um that aren't sort of doing this um as their profession because it can be hard to to fit it in. So I think even like five or ten minutes at night or before training can just make a, a, a big difference. Um, and I often recommend five minutes of therabands before training or, um, you know, some stretching at, at night, like it's small things um, can really, can really help for people. Yeah, that's perfect. I think it's just some, if you can get it in your routine, like, like you said before swimming, doing, you know, you know, you've got your three stretches that you need because you, you ride the day before, you do your swim squad the next morning. So you need to do your pecs and your lats and, and your thoracic rotation, for example. And that's just part of, part of your routine. And um, I think it's like anything with, with training or with being successful at any, it's, it's far better to be consistent over a long period of time than it is to do yeah. one or two, one or two fantastic sessions that take 90 minutes, but you don't do it you know, for three months after that because you can't be bothered doing a 90-minute and And that's why mm. I think David often prescribes just small things that um, that I do before running or that I do, you know, on a, an e-day I might do like today, like a 45-minute core routine um, that doesn't, doesn't tax too much, but it gets like, you know, the next day you can feel your hamstrings working when you're riding or you can feel glutes working when you're running. Um, so you know you've worked those muscles a little bit, but you're not really sore and tired. Um, so you can still have good quality in your other training, which mm. you know is the priority, really. Yeah, that's right. I think that's the secret to getting people to to do things is give them either one thing or or make it really short, and it's just like all right, just just try this. And that's why you know when people do clinics with us or I'm working with them online, I don't want them to go like go go to the pool an extra session per week if you're already going three times a week because it's probably not going to happen they're probably not going to be able to fit it in around family and work and stuff so we tell them we get them to just add a couple of drills to their warm-up when they're at the pool and, and that's it and and then they actually yeah. do it yeah and then they actually might have those improvements so it's like just give people a small a small amount to do and then if they want to do more they will but um make yeah, it easy for yeah them. exactly yeah that's perfect and and that's like of getting that buy-in. Like when I was in private practice as a physio, you know, one of the things I learned really early on was only give someone, you know, one or two exercises, max three exercises, because, mm. um, you know, if they've got a, a sore knee tendon or whatever it is, if you give them 10 exercises, they're not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And and then you're not going to get any improvement, so you're not going to get a buy in in the reprocess, and they're, they're not going to see the benefit. So um, because they're not doing it, and and I'm guilty of that too. Like I've I've been to a podiatrist for my foot before. All he said to do was roll it with a golf ball, and I think I did it for two days and then forgot about yeah. it. So so I know myself. Like you just have to make things 
super easy, incorporate it into a routine, um, and then then you can start seeing the improvements. Yeah. Yeah, especially as a physio. Like anytime I've gone to the physio, I I don't know if I've actually done any exercises that they've prescribed. <laughs> like maybe maybe once. Like I've I think I've gone there with the uh, the expectation of I'm going here and this is just going to fix it. And I don't need to do yep. anything outside of it. No, and like, I know that's not the case, but it's just, sometimes it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's just what, we, what we're um, just used to, used to doing. It's like, it's just so easy to not do it. Yeah, for sure. And and it was hard as a therapist because you, you can't yeah, see, see some see people too. come in <laughs> thinking that you're going to be able to fix them straight away. And mm. uh, I think um, what I try to do was, and, I think most people would therapists would try and do is put the emphasis back on them of like, you know, this is what you need to get yourself better. Um, I'm I'm going to help you guide you through it, but you know, you've got to do the work. And and that's the same with like bringing it back to swimming, for example. Like someone can come to your um, session and you give them the, the great feedback. You need, you know, your head position needs to be a little bit lower. You need to. Um, rotate a little bit more extra um, and these are the two or three drills you need to do but if they don't go and do those drills and they don't focus on the changes they won't see the improvement um, mm. so at the end of the day it's, it comes back to being onto the individual and I think, I think that's what's helped my swimming a lot is I'm um, I played a lot of different sports as a kid and I think being able to concentrate and having consciousness within the water in the water so like over, over time i really would would focus on those one to two cues that you gave me and then we would film again and go oh like you know my head position hasn't changed okay i need to go back and work again and and really work like focus on that and then okay that's fixed now okay what's next what have we got to work on next so i think being conscious in the water which is hard sometimes with triathlon if you um if you're really tired from a run you did in the morning um, or, or, or whatever it is, it's hard sometimes. And sometimes you go through the motions. Um, but I think if you can in the water more often than not really focused on trying to improve a specific aspect of your, you're going to get a lot more out of it and, and improve a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's a big one because, when someone hasn't had any coaching or they're just they've gone to the pool they've thought okay i want to start swimming and they're just trying to they're figuring it out on their own like it's and it's awesome that people do that and they get into the sport and i I love to see it then i find that when they get something to just sort of focus in on that's um hopefully specific to them it's they have so much more enjoyment because they they know exactly kind of what they need to do. And yeah, it might take them a while to kind of figure that out. But with that focus, you can go through your sessions with a lot more intent and a lot more motivation because you're like, all right, I know if I, if I practice this and I'm thinking about my hand, um, then then I'm going to be getting faster. And I, I know that it's the same for me. Like I haven't been filmed for a while. So I'm, I'm sort of like, I feel like I need something to to work on because it's, it's been a while since I've, I've done it. Um, but every time that I have sort of filmed myself, it's really uh, exciting to sort of have something to, to do and see that opportunity ahead of, oh, okay, maybe I can drop a couple of seconds here from my hundred times. So it's, um, it's a very motivating thing to, uh, to, to have in front of you. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think that's where motivation for most people probably comes from, isn't it? Is seeing like a progression, um, mm. seeing an improvement. Um, 
no one wants to, you know, go to the pool three days a week or, or whatever it is and then six months later swimming exactly the same speed as, as they were before. And then I think that's, that's where that starts to come back to um, the sessions they're doing and, and the consciousness they're having in the water and the end they're having in the water. And are they actually, and I know we've talked about this before during some of our sessions of like, actually changing something in the water it has to feel really really different so i'm at swim squad like this morning and i'm trying to get my right arm to catch and pull better i have to feel a little bit uncomfortable with what that arm's doing otherwise i know it's probably not doing what it's meant to be doing like i think last time we talked about keeping the arm straight um straighter in the catch and the pull which actually turns out to kind of keeping the elbow higher and in a better position um and that feels really strange because I'm used to kind of thinking about my elbow bending, um, but I know that if I want it to change, it has to kind of feel, it has to feel different because if it doesn't feel different, I'm I'm not I'm not changing what I'm, I'm meant to be. Yeah, and that, and here we're talking for those listening with, um, for you having to go that little bit deeper through the catch, and we were saying that that you might need to feel like you've got a straight arm as you're going through that that pull phase in order to exaggerate how deep you, you feel you're, you're going. And it's, um, it's just, it's amazing how big of a change you feel like you're making, but when you look at the video, it's such a, such a minor change. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, but that's, yeah, that's just, that's just part of that, uh, that awareness. But I think people who have listened to this podcast, who have seen the videos, I, th- I think a, a lot of them are aware of how much they probably need to, to change it, but they still probably don't allow themselves to experiment to the point where they're, they're really overdoing it. Like, it's just, I think it's, um, it's good just to like give yourself at least a couple of laps where you're just going way outside anything that feels like that feels acceptable with your stroke and just sort of see what happens with it. Because I mean, I know personally, like I'm very, yeah, it's, I, I, I always want to go back to what I'm used to. So you've really got to kind of be comfortable getting uncomfortable with, um, with those sorts of changes. Yeah, yeah, for sure, 100%. Um, and like slightly off topic, but I think something else that helped with me quite a bit when I started with David um, three years ago was um, he encouraged a lot um, less use of different toys. And I think I think probably a lot of triathletes would give this as kind of going straight towards pool boy and pool boy and paddles um, as a way to kind of keep your hips higher and swim aerobically. It's quite, it feels because you can kind of go faster at a, at a less kind of perceived effort. Um, and we still do use pool boy and paddles, but more for specific purposes. Like he might put in um, for me with pool boy and paddles to, to use them at a moderate pace, but to really try and feel my lats firing, for example. So I've got a specific purpose and I, I feel I can feel that in the water and then it'll be okay to head off and now swim, you know, 200 free, trying to have that same sensation. So you're firing the right muscles that you should be firing. Um, so I think, and, and for a lot of my main sets, he doesn't put in any, any kind of toys as such or whatever you want to call them. Um, and I think that's helped my swimming quite a lot. I used to use that a lot more as like a crutch. I'm tired I'll just throw the pool boy in but then you're truly practicing what you're doing um in the race so that kind of can take away from your main like focus and fitness for the for the race Um, but obviously everything still has a 
has a purpose and we still do use them, but a lot less than I used to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's a, it's a really good thing to, to do. Like you want to be able to swim well without any, any equipment and gear. The one caveat that I have about reduction in using tools is for, for some people I've found that like let's say age group triathletes, they, they hate swimming if they don't yeah. have their floaty pants on, like their yeah. broker shorts, whatever it might be, or they don't have a, a pool boy in, they hate going to the pool. And so if they weren't to use those, they it's probably not going to get them to the pool. So in that case, I say, wet, like use it, wear it. If, if you love swimming um, and that gets you to the pool and that makes you enjoy it, then then go for it. Um, yeah, in, for sure, for sure. And in, I mean, in, in your case where yeah, you've, you've got to get your swim, um, you've got to improve your your swim when you're when you're racing an elite level it's um yeah i mean you're going to be going to the pool anyway you're going to um yeah yeah you're going to have to go without the the equipment so um yeah i think it's a it's a it's a balance and it's a sort of case by case thing but i, I yeah a similar thing like I've, i have encouraged a lot of people to wean themselves off the off the tools um but then i've also encouraged people to um use them a bit more like for example i had someone email me this morning he's struggling to make 25 meters um without fatiguing so um and i said and one of the things i said to him was just try using a, a pool boy at least for a little bit to get some of that swim fitness and swim strength up so that when you do sort of take it out you've at least got some of that um that feeling of the water and you've got some of that that strength behind you um but then i've got to be mindful of all right we don't want him to be reliant on that stuff um and then not be able to take them take them away so yeah they're, they're good um they can be good to use but I mean, I'm a similar thing. When I was training for Ironman, um, I was doing probably one one main session a week, which was just like my longer aerobic stuff. It was just sort of strength based with pool boy or pool boy and paddles. But then after that, the majority of it was um, was swimming, and I think that really helped when it came to the the race itself. Yeah, and I think I think like you said, it's case by case. I mean, if you if if you need to use those things to get yourself pool and to swim. Well, then absolutely do it. I think just for me, I think David identified that um, for me to move forward, I needed to do a, a, a quite a bit more swimming in my main sets about it um, in order to progress. And to I think it was a case of really trying to develop a better feel for the water and a better, better catch, which I needed to do um, just swimming and just just swimming freestyle without with anything else um kind of holding me up in the water but but again yeah it is it is case by case for sure and um in terms of how can people um find you you are just prolific on instagram uh you just non-stop <laughs> I'm, I'm joking <laughs> by the way. so um we sort of joke about this um earlier but where can people find you on um yeah online and um find more of your journey as you're going forwards yeah, so probably the best way is um, my Instagram's um, Simon underscore Hearn, H-E-A-R-N, um, and also have a website, um, simonhearn.com. And um, we try and keep putting up, you know, my races and my race results um, to keep people who are interested updated. Um, but, yeah, social media is definitely not my strong point. Um, I'm, I prefer to just be in the process. but um, yeah, it is something I need to get better at for sure. Look, a little bit less time training and racing, a little bit more time posting. I think that's, uh, that's the, the real success will come from. That. <laughs> no, it's, uh, no yeah. I, uh, it's it's great um, seeing where you've started and where you're at now. And um, 
you're, I think, very uh, thoughtful and considered in your approach to um, your improvement. And I think that's given you a lot of patience in um, and just putting in the work and knowing that those results will come. So I'm just really excited about um, what's to come in the next couple of years for you. And I've uh, just really enjoyed watching your journey. So thanks for being on the podcast and uh, yeah, wish you all the best. Thanks, Brent. Thanks for having me on and um, thank you for your support for, for this coming year. I uh, really enjoyed it. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.